The Lord be with you. It is so great to sit down again this night and to share with you what I believe is a very radical message. And very quickly before I do begin, um, I want to thank you. Uh, thank you for your love gifts. Um, th- this program, of course, exists entirely on the gifts of our partners, but also there are those of you that uh, send us gifts. And I I want to sincerely thank you because you are keeping this going. And we get letters from many countries in the world. and, And it just thrills me that we're able to give it free of charge because those of you that are blessed are able to help us do it. And so thank you. And the letters that you send, I read every one of them. I'm the one that opens the mail. And so thank you. Many times I hold your letters and bless you in the name of Jesus. And someone asked, and maybe it's a question more than one is asking so quickly, yes, I am traveling to any churches that want me for a weekend, uh, meetings or conferences, and um, just call our office and we can set a date. Okay, I do want to share with you a radical, and I emphasize that word, message. This is going to answer the question that many have asked as to what is the difference in what we are saying. Persons tune into this uh, program and they realize something is different and that something is causing your heart to burn within you for joy. But you're saying, what is that? Well, we are coming right to the heart of it tonight. And I hadn't planned on doing this. Uh, It was over my dinner last night that I suddenly saw this as something I could share with you. And it so excited me, it was changed. And um, here we are. So this is not a deeply thought-out message, but I believe it is one that will come to your heart and be mending healing for many. And I want to read from Ephesians. And Ephesians chapter 1, it is one of the most marvelous chapters in the New Testament. And yet there are many who read this like it was a Manhattan telephone book. Let me read... um, It's basically from verse 5 through 13, but I'm going to skip around as I do so. So just listen. Here we go. Ephesians 1, 5 and through to 13. It says, He predestined us. And by the way, that doesn't mean that He says, You, you are not you. No, it means that He laid out a path before you. Um, and, And that path was, He says, to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according or in line with or in harmony with the kind intention of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the Beloved. In him, that's in the Beloved, which is Jesus, in him we have redemption, through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to, in line with, in harmony with, 
the riches of his grace which he lavished upon us. In him also we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined, that word again, according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will. The word will is a very harsh word, especially in today's church. It means his desires, or could I dare to say his dreams, his intention, the passion of God. And it says, to the end, that we who are the first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of his glory. Okay, did you get those phrases there? It speaks of the riches of his glory, the praise of his glory, that which he lavished upon us. What is this word glory? That, that's the word. What is the word glory? What does it mean? Uh, we, we bandy the word around, the glory of God. But what, what does it exactly mean to make sense in a sentence? Okay, I'll take a few minutes to do that. The basic meaning of the word, you might be surprised to know, it means weight or heavy. In the the way in which we would speak of some person of importance and say he carries weight around here, you know, it's it's that weight, um, a heaviness, you say, a pressing down, and it's the pressing down in a very positive way that that when this person speaks, they carry weight. This, this is not just a flimsy, fragile, passing thing. Uh, no, this is the way the person is. And therefore, with every word that comes out of their mouth, we 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 hear this this that we're calling glory. We 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 hear. It is a pressing word that gets a hold of us to the point of transforming us. That's the most basic meaning of the word. And I say again, it's not some passing thing. It's not like dew on an August morning that is gone by ten. No, this is the very heart of God's being. Or in another place, it's called the outradiance of his person. But now... I said that's the basic meaning. Now, what does the word glory mean? What What is this weight that uh, glory carries? Now, you might not have heard this before, but this is the prime meaning of the word. Check any dictionary that you want to of the ancient languages. The, the prime meaning of the word glory is opinion. Did you know that? Glory means the opinion. That is the opinion, who the person is, because that's the opinion that they hold. Hold in their thought, hold in their imagination, held in those dreams and in their desires. An opinion, um, an opinion that comes into attitude and the energy that goes out of them. It means their intent, the intentions by which they live. It means, as we've seen already in the reading, their plans. What do they plan in life? What is their purpose? By what intent do their thoughts form in their imaginations? Um, 
Well, everything that you are, as I've tried to touch on it in that last phrase, is is made known and declared in your words. And therefore, this person who carries weight, when I hear that person speak, I hear their intent, their purpose, their opinion concerning life. Now, the glory of God, please hear me, is not merely, and I emphasize that word, in who he is in himself. That is, the glory of God is not simply God's opinion of himself. I, I, I understand, of course, that is very true, that God knows himself. And, and he, in knowing himself, that is the opinion of God concerning himself. But this is the glory of God. It is the opinion that he has of you. Can that sink in? The glory of God is his opinion that he has concerning you. You are the one that every thought of God, every dream of God, all the intentions of God are focused upon. Let that sink in. All that we know of God, his love, and all the attributes of that love as it pours out in goodness and kindness and tenderness and patience. That love which which says it does not hold the memory of that wrongs done against it, that covenant relationship to us, everything we know about God, which is his opinion, It's an opinion concerning us. Think about that. That changes everything. Glory. Well, the word also means a reputation. If a person um, has uh, a track record of a certain opinion concerning life, then that becomes their reputation. It becomes their praise. People speak highly of such a person, and so they have glory. It means a person is recognized for who they are. It carries with it the idea of fame, um, honor, dignity, worth, a person's estimation in the eyes of others. But you see, you're coming back to the very same thing, that the reputation that this triune God, Father and Son and Holy Spirit, their reputation is how he thinks about you, how he has dealt with you, how his purposes concerning every one of us are working out. This is the glory of God. This is the God we stand in amazement and, and we're speechless and we honor him, we praise him, we declare this is the fame of God throughout all time, that he is a God who loves us, who is in every way kind toward us, patient toward us, good toward us. He is compassionate. You see, there's nothing in God that is abstract. You know, you know what I mean by that? Um, Abstract would mean, well, it's a vague, 
disconnected goodness or a disconnected love. Um, actually, it's an oxymoron because love cannot be any more than goodness cannot be disconnected. But people do think of God as what well, he, He's love, but that doesn't affect me. Well, <laughs> then what do you mean by that? That He's sort of floating up there in the upper ether. He's sort of love. Um, we don't know what it means. We don't know how that ever contacts us. But that's our vague, quite meaningless belief system. It's an abstract God. It doesn't fit into my life at all. It doesn't affect me at all. No, (laughs) nothing in God is abstract. In every detail of my life, I am confronted by a God whose glory is that he is bestowing his love and compassion upon me and upon you. And all of his actions are not merely disconnected actions. We are watching some sort of show in which God does stuff. Oh, his, his glory is that his love is action in our lives. His glory is that his compassion moves into the remotest areas of our being, the details of our kitchen, the details of our family and work and play. He's totally given to us. See, the word grace, which showed up in in our reading, the, the glory of the grace of God, well, what is grace? We're about to do a six-hour retreat just dealing with that one word, so I'm not covering it here. But, but in one sentence, the grace of God is that in his being, he is giving. So you could say grace is the givingness of God, that God does not give things by his being. He gives his very self. He is in his being givingness. And it says the glory of his givingness. That is the glory. That is his givingness is giving himself to us. Have you ever thought about this before? Glory. What does it mean? Well, it means splendor. And many would have seen pictures that would seek to say in picture form the glory of God, and and it will always be light, radiance, brilliance, uh, and that that's correct. That is the meaning of the word. It's the shining out, the the splendor of God. Or to put it this way, there's nothing hidden about God. He's light. And not only light, but light that blazes out. And thus, God is light, it says, and in him there is no darkness at all. He is splendor. And when some writers of the scripture have for moments had, shall I put it, the veil, sort of the curtains edged away, and they've they've seen God for, for moments, and that they are stumped for words, and they use words like it was like, uh, like as, that is, it was something like, 
but it was always um, radiance of color and light, dancing light in the full spectrum of light. Um, yeah, nothing hidden in God. And what, to bring that down to where you and I live, nothing hidden, it means that there is no God hiding behind Jesus who is different to this. Now, that might shock some of you, but there are people who believe that, and, and they don't come right out and say it, but Jesus is, well, <laughs> I have heard some of commentators and persons who represent good sections of Christians today, and they are looking at Jesus as he saves us from God. Ha, what a thought, that there's a God, I mean the real one to them, and, and he does not like you, but Jesus comes and he saves you from God, who otherwise would use you as a burning torch for eternity. No, that is blasphemy. God is light. There, when you have seen God, you've seen God. There's no other God who's going to jump out with fangs dripping with blood to get you. No, he is light. Oh, the splendor of God's glory, the radiance. This is who he is. And in that light, we see that he is love. He is compassion and patience. He is the God who is good and cannot be anything else. That's who he is. As I've often said before, God doesn't have any love. He is love. That's who he is. I, I've illustrated it. You can have, have a glass of water, which, which may be added to or subtracted from. You can have more water. You can have less water. But the moment I say, I am water, that changes everything. That's got nothing to do with glasses that go up and down. God doesn't have love. He is love. He is its ultimate definition. And that's his splendor. That's his glory. He's shown himself, and we've seen him. And the glory is that this God who is love is the love who is givingness, and you are the recipient of his givingness. He gives himself to you. That's his glory. And it's a light that blinds the eyes of religion. You, you know, if you look at the sun, well, you can't. It blinds you. And religion, because of its utter selfishness, religion cannot look at this God who is in his being the giving away of himself. And so they, they invent another God and they invent their religion of trying to escape that God. No, our God is light, and that light is that he is love, and that is love is to you. Huh. Glory, the glory of God. The glory of God, he it goes back to what I said, he, his fame. Um, this, he's not just talk. He's achieved his goal. He not only is love, but he has communicated that isness of his love and achieved his goal. 
And that gold that he has achieved is his reward and his inheritance. And as that last phrase that we read in Ephesians, it, 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 that's his glory, that we are his inheritance. Now, I know, I know so many have been taught that he is our inheritance. And of course, that's true. But you can't leave out the first half of that, is that it plainly says in Scripture that we are his inheritance. He sets his love upon us, which means he wants us. He wills that we join him by sheer givingness on his part. Something that doesn't come even into a discussion of earning or deserving. It's just that's what he wills to do. Puts his arms around us and says that he will not be God without us. We are his inheritance. His satisfaction is in achieving his end in us. That's the glory of God. And I say again, that's who he is. Which means it's not passing thoughts. It's not that God felt like that last year and um, everybody felt happy, but he seems to have forgotten that now. And um, no, no, you see, he who loves you loves you from unbeginning. It didn't start. Okay, let me put it this way. God didn't start loving you when you became a Christian or when you believed. And that's, I've learned lots of people who believe that, that, that God's grace, his love toward us began when we finally got it right and we decided to become Christians. And so now he loves us. No. Please, would somebody read the New Testament? Well, you can include the entire Old Testament in this. The Psalms, everything in the Scripture tell us it's unbegun. God, <clears throat> without beginning, God, before there was time and space, God is love. And it tells us that there, before beginning, when we were but a thought in the heart-mind of this Holy Trinity, there he loved us. And right there, I say again, before there was time, before you were conceived, you were in the heart and mind of God, beloved, and you were to have existence because you came forth out from love to be loved, to meet love and dance in life forever unending in that love. That's good news, isn't it? That's what they call the gospel. See, um, th th this is unchanging truth in that it was not something else at one time. Truth is truth is truth is truth. It never changes. And, and one day you woke up to realize that his love was toward you in Jesus. It didn't mean that suddenly it began. It means that you had been asleep and you were asleep in the middle of the passionate love of Father toward you. You were asleep in the middle of all that Jesus had accomplished specifically for you, asleep as the Holy Spirit worked to wake you to discover that love. 
It's unchanging truth. It's the going forth continually of the energy of love. You live in the energy field of the love of God. And and he is faithful to himself. So I can't change this, you say. Well, that's the glory of God. He is this. I, I don't contribute to it. I receive it. You, you could put it this way. God owns his glory. That is, uh, th- this glory of the God who in his being gives himself to us. He doesn't give himself to us because we earned it, even asked for it. We were born to this. So he's faithful to himself. Well, if I didn't earn it, if I didn't initiate it, if I didn't manipulate God into it, then all I can do is receive it. (laughs) But then if God owns his love, you can't do anything to stop it. I'm sorry, you're out of the equation. All you can do is receive this. And if you don't want to receive it, you can't stop him loving you. That's that's what it means, do you remember in the scripture, it says, for his name's sake. You ever read that? For his name's sake. It, It means that what he is now doing in your life is because of who he is. He does it for his name's sake. He didn't give you a test and say, okay, you've passed it, and so now I can do this for you. No, isn't it marvelous? I can't earn this. It's for his namesake, not my namesake. He just loves me because he is love. It's the way he is, not the way you are. That's the glory of God. And this is God's opinion. So I'm sorry, you can't change it. (laughs) It's absolute truth. You can't change gravity. You can argue with gravity, but you can't change it. It is. And that's the way it is. You see, this opinion that he has of you, and that opinion being his glory... That separates him out from all human concepts of God. Human concepts of God would never dream of even thinking what I've said in the last half an hour. His opinion of us is final. It's unchangeable truth. And our glory is rooted in his glory. Do you understand that? Our glory is rooted in his glory. I mean, we stand speechless. I still do. Uh, after the, the, this, I mean, what, nearly 70 years of knowing Jesus, we st- I still stand before such a one, speechless. How, how can it be? But then... We have believed that his glory bestows glory upon us. What does he bestow? This love that he bestows upon us? That, that's the most glorious that a human being can imagine. And that love is focused in Jesus through the Holy Spirit to dwell in us. 
Christ in you, the hope of glory. You have been caught up in this. God's glory has bestowed glory upon you. We find our worth, our value in the worth that he places upon us. Are you getting this? We dare to love ourselves. How dare we do that? Because of the love he has bestowed upon us. If he, in his glory, has bestowed love upon us, then I, in wonder, love myself with the love with which he loves me, which means I'm free to love you. And so it goes on. Love one another as I have loved you. Love your neighbor as yourself. But unless we know that the glory of God is his love for us, we'll find that a hopeless task. It is an amazing thing, is it not, that men chose sin, um, which was the choice to... <laughs> to search for a glory that was disconnected from God that originated in himself. See, the, the fall, or whatever you want to call it, that most ancient sin in the Garden of Eden with our first parents, it's all about glory. In fact, in Romans 3, what is it, 23, it says that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And, and the one, the words come short would suggest a sort of falling out of the sky, a, a, a crashing down. And, and so indeed it was the fall. It was falling away from the glory of God, not from his side. He has never stopped being who he is. But we sought glory in ourselves. And so we fell away from being the bearers, the revealers within creation of the glory of God. We fell away from his opinion of us, and we did so because of the lie of Satan. And so he blinded us. Uh, he put a, a blindfold on us, but it was a blindfold that carried with it a dark ignorance of understanding so that we now saw God other ways. We, we saw God remote. We saw God abstract, over there, up there, and we invented a God, a God whose glory was to love himself, a glory that looked at himself in the mirror. Actually, Satan inspired our imagination to come up with the God who was the ultimate narcissist, the ultimate selfish. Huh. So we, we escaped, we, we ran away from him, I mean, <laughs> because all he wanted was that we bow down before him and say he was great. And he gave us commands and told us if we didn't keep them, we'd burn forever. I mean, that's the kind of God you'd like to spend an evening with, isn't it? Um, 
It's no wonder people who believe that God really don't want to go to heaven and live with him forever. Who would want to do that? Uh, or they've invented another heaven that's really he's not there. It's all about golden streets and mansions and dear Lord knows what. Uh, but no God, because <laughs> we don't want him there. I mean it. I mean it. And th- those people have invented a Jesus that tries to protect us from that God. No, 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 no. The glory of God. Endless love. Love that will not be put off. Love that didn't stop because we walked away. Love that pursued us relentlessly and would not let us go. But mankind turned away and now glory, he seeks to find glory within himself. That, that was a bit difficult. Couldn't find much to glory in. And, and so we turn to others to find glory in the opinion of others that we respected. And so we lived, you know how it was, with the mask on, and you're trying to please them, and you adjusted your mask to what would please them. We who were created to stand in the full blaze of God's glory and know who we were in his eyes, now we're bent over, just searching for a face in the crowd that would smile at us and tell us we're good and great. Tragic. And and then we, we tried to find glory in our achievements and our successes. And then we really went for glory by comparing ourselves to others and, and saying how we would never do that because, and that's human glory. And of course that's full, it's rotten to the core with envy at others who apparently have other kind of fragile glory. And, and if we ever touch something we think is glory, we're full of pride. But all that is human stuff. It's tinsel fading like a flower in the summer, gone with the first frost. The glory of God. Everything I have said so far is focused in Jesus. Let let me read, and you've probably read this before, but it says, the Word, and that is Jesus, the Word became flesh. That's the extent of God's givingness, He gives his very self into us so that he became one of us. You talk about wanting to join us. God became human. He became flesh. He got right inside of us, became one of us, an authentic, real human being, and dwelt, and it says here, among us, but the word is in us. And then it says, and we, and John, who lived with Jesus essentially for three years, he said, we beheld his glory, the glory is of the only begotten from the Father, that is the one who is God from God, the one who is equal to the Father, who is of the same opinion as the Father. He said, we beheld his glory 
and it's it's the glory of the one who came out from God. This isn't someone who came from beside God and has um, heard things and now makes a report secondhand. No, Jesus is God out from God, and therefore he is the exact image of God. Look at Jesus and see God. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He said, he and the Father are one. And therefore, when I see Jesus, I'm looking at the Father. And and John said, (laughs) we we looked and we saw glory. We saw this outraying. We, We saw this one that caused us to honor him and praise him because he was totally the giving of self to others to the point where he would carry us in his own self through death and bring us to resurrection. Did you hear me? He said, the word became flesh. He lived with us. We beheld his glory, everything I've said. And it's the glory of the only begotten of the Father. You want to know what God looks like? See that in Jesus. And he said that was full of grace, full of givingness. And he said that's unchanging truth. Of his fullness, this fullness of his glory, who he is, the giving of himself to us, we have all received. And grace upon grace, which means grace that never stops repeating. That is, in every moment there is grace to replace the grace you've used. And he says it comes to us. And it was all realized through Jesus Christ. This glory is in Jesus. It's not just anywhere. Jesus said he is the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father but by him. And so John 3.16, that God so loved the world that he gave givingness his only begotten Son. That's not an afterthought. That, that's that's not, you know, the, the emergency call that man screwed up, so we better do something. This is the way God is. This is his glory. And I say, that's been since your conception. God didn't start loving you when Jesus came. Nor did God start loving you when you became a Christian. We covered that. But hear it, I'll I'll say it ten more times. You have to understand this. There's never been a time, there's never been a before time when the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit were disgusted with you. Can, Can you take that in? I speak to you the truth of God. He's never hated you. He's never been repulsed by you. He's never loathed you. From before time, the worth he placed upon you is that from before time, the purpose was to give the Son, Jesus, God from God. That was the plan. He came along right as he determined to bring you into existence, to love you, to delight in you, Right at the same self-time, you were given to Jesus. He was going to come and join with you. It's 
This isn't Johnny come lately. <clears throat> this isn't something that might happen to you while I'm talking. That happens a lot. But you see, that didn't happen. I say again, you woke up. You see, we don't know we were asleep until we wake up. Think about that. And, and therefore, this has been true. This has been true since before time. It's been true since Jesus rose from the dead. It's been true since the day you first had the breath of life in your mother's womb. This is the truth. So uh, what's this message? I'm, I'm shaking you saying, wake up, wake up. Discover what has been and is and ever shall be. This worth, this limitless worth that has been placed upon you. That's the glory of God. And through Jesus includes you into the triune family. The incarnation, God joining us, becoming one of us in order to restore and rescue us. That's the glory of God, that he would, that's, that's who he is. And it says in 2 Corinthians 4 and 4 that the glory of God is revealed in the face of Jesus Christ. That is the ultimate givingness, the ultimate purpose, the ultimate want to, the ultimate dream of God is all there in the face of Jesus Christ. That he comes to get us, to restore us. He comes into our brokenness our sickness, our pain, our whole person off kilter, and he's the healer, the Savior. It says in Colossians 1.15 that he is the exact image. He is the visibilization of the invisible God. He's the outspeaking. He's the word of that glory so that we would finally know what it's all about. And, and you, you could say that the Christ event, that is when Jesus is born, his incarnation, right through his life, his sufferings, his death, his resurrection, that's, that's God's final word. That's his word. Or you could say uh, he, he, his mind is finally, if you wanted to, I mean, it's been made up since, uh, as I say, in the mind of God, it was done. But in our history, there you've got it. If, if anybody wants to keep on saying that you're separated from God, look at the incarnation. God joined us. Can he get any closer? If, if you hear some religious person saying that, that God can't stand the sight of you, as I've heard a lot. Well, take a look, one look at the incarnation. God, from God, joined us and didn't only not look at us, he, he looked at us, loved us, and joined us, and will not let us go. He is one with us forever. So there. The final word about you is Jesus. There you have the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. The ultimate final givingness of God 
that he gives himself totally to us. That, that, that's the statement that covers eternity to eternity. You never have to doubt again. You never have to... You know, I, as I sit here, I'm, I'm thinking specifically of people I know or have met. And they go really from... I, they, why they ever go to church, I don't know. Because they, they come away feeling worse than they went. Um, it, it, it's full of doubt. They, they, live, they live on the edge of doubt. Does God love me? Or oh, I did this, I did that, now he doesn't love me. And, and we try and get saved over and over and over again, trying to get it right. You don't. No, no. Look, look at Jesus, that's it. You don't have to look any further. I say it again, the mind of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is made up forever about you. He loves you. He's joined to you. Now let's get on and enjoy him. Do you know who you are? You, 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 don't, you haven't evolved out of some slime. You're not a remote ancestor of a gorilla. You bear the image and the likeness of God. The glory of God is fulfilled in you. His glory, the glory of God, is to give us a seat inside his glory so that we are seated with Christ in the heavenly places. Obviously, the glory of God, his opinion of you in Christ, is infinitely, limitlessly more than any of us think of ourselves. Whatever the opinion of your family is concerning you, it's nothing. It's the opinion of God in Christ that has has put this worth upon you that you can never think it through and you can never imagine it only minute by minute. Don't try and take in the whole jolly thing. It's too big for your little brain. Just wake up and live the first minute of the morning realizing, realizing right now in your bed the opinion of Father about you, that he's given himself to you, included you in his family, your peers. They, They, I don't know what they think about you, but it doesn't really matter, you see, because the ultimate peer, your elder brother, when God became one of your family in order to tell you who you really are. Now, that's that's the glory of God, and that's where we live. And they can bully you, and they can say all those words against you. And I say this with everything I have, ignore them, Don't be distracted by them because the one who is greater than all has bestowed his glory upon you. And this is is the scandal of agape. And I, I can understand why people would say it's a scandal. 
But to those of us that have partaken of that glory, all we can do is just say thank you forever. It's it's not a scandal. It leaves us with our mouth open and our eyes bugging, but it's not a scandal. But in the eyes of so many, it is a scandal. This is the radical grace, the radical givingness of God that we call gospel, the good news of God's grace, God's givingness. It, it's, it's a scandal only because we have been immersed in a foul atmosphere of a miserable counterfeit of God. And, and I'm, I'm sorry, this doesn't make me popular, but it is the truth that so many of us, us, you and I, so many of us were raised in, in the dark shadow of, I say again, a counterfeit God. See, when people say God, I've heard it, especially recently for some reason, and they say, well, you say, we're all the same. You say, we're all the same. So if you're of this religion where you're God, it's the same as our God. I don't think you've ever met the God we worship. I really don't. Because the God we worship in the face of Jesus Christ is utterly, utterly unlike any other God on the face of this planet that the human race would ever concoct. And tragically, within Western Christianity, there has been fashioned by the hands of religion a counterfeit God. He's not the God who came to us in Jesus Christ. The God I meet in many areas is indifferent. I mean indifferent. He's not a God that's giving himself to you. You can hear it in the way that people pray. They don't even know if he's listening. Some people shout to make sure he hears them. And when their words are words to try and convince him that he's the biggest thing since since grilled cheese and, and, and we're no good, we're unworthy. In fact, that's looked upon as worship. I'm no good, I'm miserable, I'm unworthy, have mercy upon me. Come on, this God loves you. What if your little darling child came and when you tried to pick her up, all she did was say, I'm unworthy, I'm no good. I, I'm unworthy not even to look at you or stand in your presence. Come on, what would you do? You'd send the kid to a psychiatrist. You, you, I mean, love would be fulfilled in taking that child. And this God I'm speaking about is the God who would pick you up like his child and hug you, and care for you, and kiss you. And religion taught us that's not God. That's not God. God is indifferent. God doesn't care. In fact, and I've heard this so many times with my own ears, as they say, God is disgusted with you. God can't stand the sight of you because of your sin. And then they say, well, Jesus came to save you from that God. As I said earlier in the program, the the God of religion is wrapped up in himself. 
gazing at his own glory. The fact is, his glory is his shame. The God who is not love, the God who really has nothing to do with us in prayer is shouting to get his attention. A God who demands that we grovel before him, keep his commands or pay the price forever. And while he's being that to us, we're supposed to give him praise. I'm not, that, that is not a caricature. That's the sadness that I have found as I've traveled the last many decades. No, no, you see, that leaves me separated, doesn't it? Separated. And the best I can do is please the monster. It means I'm excluded. It means I'm unwanted. And I keep banging on the door to try and have some form of hope that I am. I say the glory of that idol God, for that's what it is. It's a God invented by religion. A God that bypasses all that's revealed in Scripture. The glory of that creature is the shame of his selfishness. There's a verse in, what is it, in Psalm Psalm 86. And in there as he is looking at how our glorious God is so so concerned, so tender-hearted, so compassionate as we're in the middle of all the bits and pieces of our life. In the first verses, he said, I'm afflicted, I'm needy. And then he said, save me, be gracious to me, uh, um, make glad the soul of your servant. He says, you're abundant in loving kindness to all who call upon you. That's the basis of his, his cry. He says, in the day of my trouble, I shall call upon you, you will answer me. This isn't a man in doubt. And then he says in verse 8, and it's one of the great verses for me, it's one of my sort of life-directing verses, he says, There is no one like thee among the gods, O Lord, nor are there any works like thine. You are great, you do wondrous deeds, you alone our God. Do, do you hear what he's saying? And it's that verse 8. Um, and, and in the King James Version, it, it says, Who is like unto thee among the gods? It's a question that he throws out there. Among the gods, that means all the idols, all of the false representations of God, everything that man has invented and calls it God. And he said, when, when I compare you, when I bring you the real God, the, these other gods, they're all the same. And you know, I, I've had the, the privilege of traveling on almost every continent preaching and teaching the gospel. And I, I've seen and conversed with many of the witch doctors and the priests of other religions. And... and it's an amazing thing because some are among educated people and some among primitives, tribal. But, you know, they've all got one thing in common. Every, 
I mean, you, I, I, I've sat down in the heart of Africa with, with witch doctor, and there he is in, in all the paraphernalia of being witch doctor, and I, I've coaxed him to tell me about his concepts of God and so on. And I've also sat in, in the Far East, in 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 Japan especially, and uh, and talked with very educated persons, but they all have the same basic concept of God, and that is he's not really interested in us. We have to take the initiative. We have to do something in order to reach him. And if we don't, then there's, well, it depends, but it doesn't look good. And then I come and I sit down with some leaders of religion here in the West, and I hear them say what I've heard witch doctors say, almost word for word. I was down in Mexico with in Chinchinia, and some of you have been there. And they took us to, and showed us this deep well. They really didn't know how deep it was, and they said it was there there, there that the Mayan culture they when there was deep trouble that they needed the gods to kind of be good to them and stop being angry with them they would take their most precious person usually a prince of the royal family and they'd load this person with jewels and silver and gold and and they would drown them in that well and they said that, that that was an appeasing of the gods so that now the trouble would go. And as I heard this ghastly story unfold, and I, there, there was somebody behind me, and I guess they were, they were Christians, and I, I didn't know that, but they were there and they were talking, and they got excited. And they said, isn't that just like Jesus who, who died to appease the Father? Oh, God, help us. That... Do you understand what I mean? These are the gods. This is what all gods are. God's angry, so he's going to be appeased, and if he's not, he's going to punish you. And then I come upon this God, who is revealed in the face of Jesus, and I see his glory is in that he is giving this. He gives himself to us. Do you realize when God became flesh in Jesus, he knelt at the feet of his disciples, including the one that was about to betray him, including the ones who would run like frightened rabbits when he was in trouble, and he washed their feet. Isn't that interesting? There's no other God in all the false gods of all the religions that would do that. No, this God gives himself to us. All other gods are trying to get something from us. All other gods are out to punish us. This God said, I'll take your sin, and I'll take the death that comes with it, and I will bring you out of death in my own power. Who is like unto you among all the gods? Or is this... New American Standard says, there is no one, there is no one like you among all the false gods, O Lord. Well, there, there it is, you see. That's the truth. That's the glory of God. And I would, would end by, by just uh, saying 
that um, when, when I realize this, that he has bestowed upon me worth, he, he's bestowed upon you value, he's put his glory upon us, for his glory is his givingness of his very self to us. Then I have a new identity. I walk through life with a new step. And I walk in a fellowship and a relationship with the God that initiated that. That's really living. For this is eternal life, for the life of God in man, that they may know you, which has in it all of love's knowing of the beloved, that they might know you and Jesus, whom you sent your very self from self, so that we might know. Well, there it is. That's very radical, I know. But that's the gospel. That's the simple good news that makes a man fairly leap for joy. Good news of great joy and peace among humankind. And now the blessing of God who is who is, who is almighty love, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, His richest blessing, His givingness be inside you and your house, that eyes may be opened to behold His glory and to revel as that glory enfolds you. So this day, night, I bless you. And that is the way it is.